Gordon Ramsay comes to your house and is in your kitchen and willing to cook you anything you want. And you ask for a hot dog. You go to your doctor and you ask for a Band-Aid for the little scratch on your arm and not asking him to look at the pneumonia in your lungs. Aaron Rodgers says he'll play on your flag football team. Yeah, I had to bring the Packers in today, right? <laughs> NFC Championship. Aaron Rodgers wants to play on your flag football team and you make him the water boy. All three of these situations are what we would call underutilizing those who have gifts and skills and expertise that you might be able to make use of. These are silly illustrations. Let me take it to a much more important level that really matters. Is this the way you think about your God? Let me ask that question another way. When you think about God, what is he to you? What is his purpose in your life? Is God your personal assistant? That, uh, you know, you're, you're pretty good on your own, but, but if you're in a little jam, you know, you call on him for some help? Is God maybe like the Santa Claus to you? Right? If I do good, and I'm nice to people, and I go to church and give my offerings, then, you know, I can, maybe God will be good to me. <laughs> And he'll give me what I want and what, what I need and, and give me money and happiness and all these things. Or is God like your insurance agent? You know, you, you pay your premiums by doing the things he tells you to do. And then, for the most part, you don't really think about it and think about him until you need him. Tragedy strikes. And then you call on him and say, hey, can you help me out here? If these are your views of God, and be honest with yourself this morning, right? And maybe it's a little different, but, but if that's how you view God, that he's some sort of personal assistant or Santa Claus or insurance agent for your life, well, you're thinking way too small of who he really is. In this sermon series for Epiphany, and remember Epiphany means to make known, to reveal, and what we're seeing is that this Savior who was born at Christmas as a baby is being revealed to be the Messiah, and we're seeing what he came to do. We're taking a look at these first lessons from Isaiah. Each week we've been looking at a different section from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah and seeing these words fulfilled in the Savior who came 700 years later. Promises made, promises kept. Last week, uh, for the baptism of our Lord, we heard God the Father speaking to God the Son in that lesson. Remember? To the servant, to the one who was called in righteousness to come and fulfill all righteousness, to come to bring us his righteousness. Well, today, in our lesson from Isaiah chapter 49, the first lesson that we read this morning, we hear God the Son speaking, the servant himself, the Messiah your Savior Jesus, 700 years before he stepped foot on this earth, he speaks these words to us. Some promises are made, and we're going to see these promises kept. And what we're going to see in these words of this Savior, of this servant, is God is much bigger than a personal assistant or a Santa Claus or an insurance agent. 
the Savior gives us a glimpse of who our God is in his words. Let's take a look at Isaiah 49. Again, they're printed out in your service folder. If you'd like to follow along, we're going to walk through kind of verse by verse. Uh, they're that first lesson that we read. This is how it starts out. The servant, the Savior, the Messiah says to you, listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. So again, this, this is the servant. This is the Messiah. This is your Savior Jesus, 700 years before he's born, saying, listen up. I got something important to say to you. I was chosen. I was called. Know that. And what the servant, your Savior Jesus, is saying to you here is that unlike the way we treat God, like as an afterthought, right? You know, if, if my life's going tough, maybe then I'll start praying, right? Or, or maybe if things are a little rocky, then I'll start reading my Bible and going to church a little bit more, right? We're, very often in our lives, God is the afterthought. He's, he's one of many answers we might try out. The servant says, you were never an afterthought to God because your salvation and the one who would win that salvation for you was chosen and called from eternity. That from eternity, God knew you and planned to save you. And that all of history revolves around that event. That God was working in everything and through everything throughout history for that Savior to come at just the right time to rescue you from your sins. Friends, do not think too small of God. You have been on his mind since eternity. And you are always on his mind. You are never an afterthought. He never forgets about you. He never loses you and has to come and find you. Never think too small of your God and who he is and how he feels about you. The servant goes on. Jesus says, verse 2 and 3, he says, He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. That servant didn't come until the time that had been chosen came. And just at that right time, he did come. And until then, he was, he says, I was hidden. I was, I was concealed. But then he came, and he was equipped to come. And, and, and the servant here compares himself to two things. He says, I'm like a polished arrow. And I'm like, there's, my mouth is like a sword. And what does that mean? What, what, is, what is the servant, what is the Messiah, our Savior Jesus, saying here? Well, well the arrow and the sword are, are two weapons of battle, right? And they're both used for defense and for attacking, and a number of times, especially in the New Testament, the word of God is compared to a sword. Actually, in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, there is this image of Jesus, not only Savior, but King and Ruler. And it says there that his mouth has a sword coming out of it. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? course. It's the inspired word of God. It all fits together, doesn't it? But that word of God, that sword that Jesus came to wield. And you know, most of his ministry was spent preaching that word of God. And it, and it wasn't just what the people wanted to hear. 
Oh, that would be too small a thing <laughs> for our holy, just God. Instead, he came preaching, repent. Despair of yourself. Stop pretending like you're believers and be believers. Give up your sin and ask God for mercy. And he wielded that sword of the word of God as he carried out his ministry. And he didn't say, make yourselves right with God by doing this, this, and this. He didn't say, you know, rely on your own goodness and, and, and God will love you and accept you for that. No, that would be too small a thing for our gracious God. So he came saying, despair of your own works. Let go of this idea that you can make yourself right with God. And look to me, the Lamb of God, who came to live the perfect life that you cannot, who came to die the death that you deserved, who came to defeat sin and death and the devil for you and to give you that victory by grace. It's that same sword, that word of God that Jesus came to wield here when he was on, his, on this earth that he comes to us today with. Too. This sword of the word of God that, that he doesn't hold back. He doesn't just tell us what we want to hear, but exactly what we need to hear. That you are sinful. <laughs> that on your own you are worthy of death and hell and separation from God forever, but... Look the Lamb of God, who has come to take your place. The one who took God's wrath so that you could know his love. The one who took your punishment so that you could be free. The one who took your sin so that you might be holy before him. Don't think too small of God that he's just there to tell you what you want to hear and pat you on the back. But he comes to give you exactly what you need. To realize without him you are nothing. But with Jesus you have absolutely everything. The servant goes on. He says, but I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand and my reward is with my God. Well, what does this mean? That the servant the Messiah, our Savior Jesus saying that I, I've labored in vain, that, that I've spent my strength for nothing. Well, well, think about the time into which Jesus came and the Jews to which he appeared to here on this earth. For the most part, they had given up on this idea of a Messiah who was coming to save them from their sins, and they were looking for a Messiah who would make them rich who would bring peace to their lives and, and, and not to, to get rid of their sin, but to get rid of the tyranny of the Romans and give them that land back, that promised land. They were looking for a Messiah to make their life on this earth better. And they heard what Jesus was preaching, and that wasn't it. He was saying the opposite. When you follow me, your life's going to get harder. But they threw away those more important riches of the forgiveness of sins and peace with God and the hope of eternal life that Jesus did come to bring. And think about all those who rejected him. And consider all those who heard what he preached and saw the miracles and still didn't believe. Think of those within his own race, of the Jews who plotted and were successful in putting him to death. Probably more than one time. In Jesus' earthly life, 
did these words go through his mind? I, I'm, seems like I'm laboring in vain. It, it seems like I'm spending my strength for nothing at all because this word is falling on so many deaf ears. But yet the servant, your savior, is quick to remember. He says, yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand and my reward is with my God. Because he knows that while many rejected him, while many were looking for a personal assistant or, or a Santa Claus, and that's not what he came to be, that there were those who would believe and did believe, that there were those who saw the Lamb of God and believed that he was their Savior from their sin. And these words echo down to today too. Because right here, in these words penned 2,700 years ago, your Savior, the Messiah, the servant of the Lord, is talking about you. You are what is due and in the Lord's hand to him. You are his reward that is with God. That you are what he came to fight for. That you are who he came to rescue. And that by believing, by that gift of the Holy Spirit, you have that reward of heaven that he has won for you. These words are about you, dear Christians. But not you alone. Because it would be too small a thing if God just came for a few of us. It would be too small a thing of our God if he just died for the sins of just some. And so the servant goes on. And now he recalling what God the Father says to him, God the Son. He says in verse 6, The Father says to the servant, It's too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. We heard it in our gospel lesson. John the Baptist proclaims, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of not just a couple, not just a few, not just some, but the sins of the world. Every single person of every single time and every single place. The Lamb of God who came to lay down his life for sinners, for all sinners. And we heard in our second lesson from Acts how that, that gospel, that message of that Lamb of God spread. Right first, Paul and Barnabas go to a city and they preach to the Jews. Many reject. Then they go to the Gentiles and they say, this is for you too. And many believe. And Paul points to this very verse from Isaiah 49 that he has made us those apostles who have been entrusted with that gospel to be that light, that that salvation may spread to the ends of the earth. And the word of the Lord spreads through the entire region. As God wants all to know his peace and his forgiveness, to know this Savior who's meant for all. So, you friends, you see, it's too small a thing. It is too small a thing for us to think that this is just about us. It's too small a thing. If we come here and we're just concerned about us being comfortable and taking care of our building and ourselves and making sure we're okay, 
and forgetting that there's an entire city and county and state and country and world that is full of people that are broken and hurting and lost and lonely. And if they die today, are going to hell. It's too small a thing. If we give people in our lives the impression that the God we believe in is nothing more than a personal assistant or a Santa Claus or an insurance agent and neglecting the fact to take to heart that this is a God who has loved us from eternity, planned out our salvation and chosen this servant to save us, who comes to us in his word to, to cut us and to heal us, to bring that law and gospel with that sword of the word. This God who called us from darkness into light through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Friends, it's too small a thing. If we think that this word of God is not powerful enough, if this sword is not sharp enough to bring to faith those who believe in different gods or who have no faith in a God at all, but instead to wield this sword as often as we can to give the Spirit every opportunity to bring others out of spiritual darkness into the light of Christ. Friends, it is too small a thing. If we just leave here this morning and we go about life like everything is just the same, it's too small a thing. If we are not compelled by what we have seen and heard today to go, to hear, just like Andrew learned that that, saved, that that Jesus had come to be the Messiah, to go and say, I found the Messiah. I have found the one who can bring your life peace and hope and joy, who can take away guilt and brokenness and loneliness, who alone can give you hope after the grave. It's too small a thing. If we are not compelled by what we see here in baptism, that God calls people into his family by his grace and clothes them with the robes of righteousness of Christ and claims them as his very own now and forever. It's too small a thing if we don't see in just a few moments people coming forward to receive in the true body and blood of Jesus that pledge that we are forgiven as God renews that covenant of grace with those who receive that body and that blood who again unites us to himself. Friends, it's too small a thing if we are not compelled to leave here and point to that Lamb of God who takes away the sin of not just us, but of the world. This servant, this Messiah, this Savior was planned from eternity for all came for all, lived for all, died for all, rose for all, and desires that this gospel is shared with all. And friends, he's made us to be his light, to be the light in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our world, so that all might know who our God is.
May God grant you strength and peace and wisdom as you go with the light of Christ in you to shine that to the world.